A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts. I'm Kim France. And I'm Jen Romolini. And by the time this episode airs, we will have seen each other. Yes, you will be in Los Angeles this weekend. I will be in Los Angeles for President's Day weekend. It's very exciting. It is very exciting. It's very exciting. Um, I'm sorry that LA is going to be shit weather while you're here. It's going to be shit. It's going to be shit weather. But you know what? It's not going to be cold, and it'll be nice to get away from the cold. It'll be nice to get away from the cold. It'll be nice to stay in a hotel. It'll be it'll be nice to do all of the all of the just the it's a vacation. Go out to dinner. Yeah. It'll be nice. Yeah, I think it will be. What are your, what are you, besides seeing me, what are, what are you going to do while you're out here? Well, um, I have two cousins I'm very close to who live mm-hmm. there. They're both, they both grew up in New York and moved out there later. My cousins, John and Ben. So I will see them. Ben has two kids. John has two smaller kids. One who is recently born, who I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to meeting. Um, I will see my friends, Heather and Jessica who um, do the website, go fuck yourself. Oh yeah. 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 Who I, you know, who I befriended during the lucky days and I haven't seen them in a few years and we're going to have a lunch date. So I'm excited about that. I think I'm going to see another friend I have named Jen. Mm. Oh, and I want to go another (laughs) friend. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then I want to go to this place um, called Luna Luna. Oh, you should do that. You need to book tickets for that. You should do that. It's really yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I, I didn't realize it was open now in Los Angeles. I read about it like a few years ago. It's mm-hmm. this artist-created amusement park that just sounds amazing. Is it? Is it? Well, we can talk about this. We don't have to talk about the logistics it's da- on it's, there. It's downtown, and it's really cool. It's you know, it's you know, it's a little hyped for what it is, but it's definitely like an immersive sensory art experience. I think the book is really cool. Like I picked up the book when we went, and mm-hmm. um, I definitely was like, oh, I wish I was on drugs when I was here. I was totally sober. But then actually, once I got into it, I was like, this is actually so amazing to look at and the music and how the carnival rides are sort of moving around. And this is immersive enough that I I can, I don't need to be on drugs. So that was my, that was my advice. I will say, um, if you want to go into everything, they, it is expensive and, but you should upgrade because there's certain things they won't let you go into unless you've upgraded. Um, hmm. like there's like a, there's like a maze and anyway, very cool artist. It was cool to see Basquiat's Ferris wheel, like really amazing to see that up front. And, um, it's just cool. It was an yeah. amusement park in the eighties in 1987, I think in Germany, I'm not sure. Somewhere I think in so. Europe. Yeah. And, um, all of these artists like Basquiat and I forget who else, Jeff Koons. I don't know. I don't, I don't know who, who all was in it. Keith Herring for Keith sure. Keith Herring for sure. Yeah. I think these, Dolly yeah. even Dolly, even though I think Dolly yes. was dead by then, there I was think, some Dolly thing. 
There was a Dolly thing. I think you're right. Anyway, it's it's really cool. It's like one of the coolest things LA has going right now, I would say. Um, I hi- highly recommend. Yeah. I mean, I think we're just, you know, we, we don't have like sightseeing yeah. plans or anything. We just have plans to see people. And maybe if the weather was good, we'd take a hike, but the weather is going to be rainy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm taking you to the Smokehouse in Burbank, which is a, um, a Los Angeles institution. <laughs> I've already checked it all out. I'm so excited. <laughs> there might even be, if we're lucky, some terrible live music. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Can't wait. I'm, that's what I'm hoping for. Um, I have one tip before we get into this episode. I've been last week. I was like, eye bags. They're so terrible. I can't get rid of them. Um, and I've realized Sometimes the aging stuff you don't realize is nothing to do with aging, but about something else. I was eating so much salt. I had these crackers that I really liked and I was eating just like ham and salted nuts all day. I was just salt. salt. I might as well just be pouring like salt in my mouth all day. (laughs) And I, my eyes were so puffy and I couldn't, I was like, this is it. It's the end. I'm just, I might as well be 90. And like, it was just that. And now my eye bags are flat. I mean, I still have whatever I have, but it was really, I just cut out salt for like four days and it was amazing. That's what it was. So hot tip, hot tips. (laughs) Salt, Salt. cut it out. Um, We have a great show today. We have the journalist and author Jessica Bennett on the show. She's the one who wrote that fantastic E. Jean Carroll um, story in the New York times. If you haven't read it, the audacity of E. Jean Carroll, I recommend reading it as a companion piece to this episode. Um, But yeah, Jessica's great and we're super lucky and I can't wait to see you, Kim. And oh, Patreon patrons. There's a special, just like we did with Joan, we're going to be doing with all our guests. There's a special bonus segment um, on the Patreon about Jessica's favorite things. Um, So we asked her a bunch of fun questions there um, as a little bonus for our patrons. So thank you for being at the Patreon. And that's it. Thanks for being on the Patreon. Let's get into, (laughs) let's get into the episode. Yep. Yep. Our guest today is Jessica Bennett. Jessica is an award-winning journalist and author who writes on gender, sexuality, and culture. She was appointed the Times' first gender editor in 2017 as part of an initiative to expand coverage of women and gender issues. In that role, Jess contributed to the coverage of Me Too, oversaw the launch of the Overlooked Obituaries Project, and was the editor of This Is 18, an immersive look at the lives of 18-year-olds around the world. Today, Jess is a contributing editor at the Times, teaches journalism at New York University, and is the co-host of the podcast In Retrospect, which delves into cultural moments of the past that look different to us today. Welcome, Jessica Bennett. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. We're very excited to have you. So one of the reasons we wanted to have you on was because of your amazing story about E. Jean Carroll. And you were actually in court for the most recent trial. What surprised you about watching that case? Or what, what was that like? Oh man, so many things. So yeah, Eugene Carroll, who sued Donald Trump for rape and for defamation, she's now been in court twice. Um, and it's somewhat confusing, like even to the people in the courtroom, why there are two separate cases, but they dealt with different things. And in the first one, he, Trump, was found liable for actually sexually abusing her um, based on her accusation that he raped her in a Bergdorf Goodman dressing room in the mid 90s. And in the second case, she was suing him for defamation, saying that, you know, her reputation was ruined by him going on Twitter and calling her a whack job and a liar and all these other things. And she was owed damages for that. She won both cases. So being in the courtroom. Well, first of all, you're not allowed to have phones in this courtroom. Um, And that was like crazy because you just... First, you're kind of twitching and you don't really know what to do with your hands (laughs) and you have to observe details that you would normally not because you'd be looking at your phone. And so you see facial expressions from the jury and you notice the way that Trump's lawyers are like if they're sweating or if they're not sweating or the way they're kind of being bombastic. And you have to actually talk to the other reporters in the room. (laughs) So that was the first thing that was interesting. Um, I guess another thing is it's so easy for Trump's team and Donald Trump, who was in the courtroom, 
to walk outside and do their TV hits and talk about what idiots Eugene Carroll's lawyers are and how they're never going to win and how great everything is going in the campaign and how much money Trump has and anything else. And yet when you're sitting in that courtroom watching him and you are seeing that the judge actually really does have command of this place and he is not putting up with Trump's bullshit, like he is not letting him get away with muttering under his breath, which he tried to do. And the lawyers, you know, who really were poorly trained, I think, in in a lot of the litigation 101. Um, he's not letting them get away with it. He is stopping them. He is telling them to sit down. He was like absolutely in command. Mm. And so to me, that was really satisfying to see, but then also crazy to walk outside and see what people who were not in the courtroom were saying about it and have those things be totally juxtaposed. Wow. Jess, what was it like when they, when they announced the amount of money? Was it shocking? So... I guess like that amount of money for someone like me is meaningless. So was that a large amount? Was that a small amount? I mean, we knew that Lett was on the higher end and they had had these experts talking about how much she should get. But I'm not sure immediately people knew how to quite interpret it. They knew mm-hmm. that it was a win for her and a loss for him. And obviously he cares a lot about money. But I wasn't sure like to what extent there was a precedent for that amount. Yeah. Right. After the verdict that you wrote this incredible profile, the audacity of Eugene Carroll, and you wrote, I couldn't stop thinking that this trial was also about something else. The value of a woman long past middle age who dared to claim she indeed still had value. Just how radical was it for Miss Carroll 80 to demand that she was worth something? And this was a smart angle, and I, I really hadn't seen it before. And it, this angle went viral, I felt like. I, I was seeing it shared everywhere. How did you come to this? Yeah. So, you know, I'm not a political reporter. I'm not on the Trump trail. And so you're sitting in the courtroom, and it's all these politics reporters from every outlet imaginable. And, like, Maggie Haberman is there, and everyone's focused on Trump. They're all focused on Trump. And I just kept thinking, like, it's so crazy to see this woman of this age sitting up there confidently saying what happened to her and holding this man accountable and, like, staring him in the face. Mm. And I just remember writing down in my my notebook, like, how rare is it for a woman to demand her worth and how rare is it for a woman age 80 to demand her worth. And I didn't really know the answer. Like how often does a woman who is over a certain age go up before the person she is accused? Like how I wasn't sure at that point, how often cases like this were actually making it to court. And and it was only later when I was done reporting the piece and calling experts up who said, it's, it's really pretty rare because you're dealing with one, a different generation that maybe didn't speak up to oftentimes their abusers are, I don't know, dead or like really old and they don't want to yeah. go after them. You know, three, there's a statute of limitations. Right. So to me, it was just fascinating to see her up on that stand, um, staring this guy in the face and, and saying he did it. Amazing. It was interesting because, you know, the piece is about ageism and our idea of worth as women, sexual or otherwise, right? But her lawyers kept showing pictures of E. Jean Carroll when she was younger, right? Like it kind of, I, I don't even know what the question is. It was kind of to say, look, she was hot. It's not inconceivable that this happened. Yeah. I, I just, I, I wonder how you think of that in the larger context of like value and ageism that, cause I, I see this a lot of time in obituaries too. We always show the picture of the person young and beautiful. Like, oh, so that's interesting. Yeah. Right. So it's like, I, I was thinking about it a lot. Even how she styled herself with, you know, a bob because she had changed her from the New York magazine. So I was wondering while you were writing this, if you had thought about that at all, because I, I think it's it's interesting yeah. to be like, you have value at 80, but also look how hot you were. And <laughs> look you how right, hot you right. were. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's so interesting, too. I was trying to figure out, I'm like, what is this called what they're doing here? Because it's like, you don't want to play into the ageist trope. 
But at the same time, you know, it exists and you know that the jury is likely to feel that way because like that's who people are. We, we have isms and we have ageism and right. we have sexism. And so you almost in order to circumvent the bias, like have to play into it in a way. So they're sitting there and they're like, you know, first of all, sure, her, you mentioned her dress. So she actually was dressed exactly the same as she was in 1995 when wow. the assault occurred. Wow. That she had the same hairstylist. She did her hair in the exact same way. Um, I think some of those were maybe the same, literal same clothes, not the ones she was wearing that day, of course, but from that era. And you know, a lot of thought, I think, was put into how she would present herself. Yeah. And she looked gorgeous and far younger <laughs> than her actual age. And then at the same time, the, her lawyers are like, well, here's a, this headshot of her from like the mid 90s where she's like in her little <laughs> boat, you know, like black and white bow tie advice columnist yes. thing. And like, she looks so great. And then that famous now famous black and white photo of her with Donald Trump yeah. yes. that like has been used as proof that he did in fact know her. Well, she obviously looks beautiful there. Beautiful enough that Trump actually mistook her for his ex-wife when he was asked to identify the photo. Oh wow. <laughs> so so it's like kind of going to the jury to say like, oh, well, she she's still fuckable. Yes, um, yes. That's what I'm saying. Yes, yes. Go it, ahead, it, Kim. For, for some reason, it didn't bother me at all because it was so pragmatic. And it reminds me of a line I'm going to get wrong when you say you have to play into the tropes to subvert them. You also had a great line about that in your Nikki Haley piece about her wearing high heels. <laughs> I forget and what the it, line was, but you, yeah. yes, it was like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but it 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 just it made perfect sense to me. Of course, they had to do that because so much of what he said was, "She's not my type. She's right. not hot." Right. Anybody could see the moment they saw a picture of her twenty, thirty years ago that she was precisely his type. Right, which is like such an insane thing to have to prove anyway. Like we know that rape and assault is not about looks or someone being your type, but it would like, we still have these biases. The other thing that this reminded me of is, so in the first trial in May, in May of 2023, um, they had a couple of other of the Trump accusers testify on Eugene Carroll's behalf. And one of them was Jessica Leeds, who had previously come forward in the New York Times. She had been assaulted by Trump on an airplane in, I, I think, the 80s. When yes. She was like a young woman. And she looks much more her, stereotypically, her age now. Like her hair is gray. She does not dye it. She has a short cropped haircut. She She's not glammed out the way Eugene was. And there was this heartbreaking moment where she basically said like, look, I, I gave the New York Times the young photos of me because I felt like I needed to prove that I was beautiful. <laughs> because mm. he would then go on and say like, oh, look, she wouldn't be my first choice. But so even she is like having to kind of defend that she was beautiful back then when the alleged assault occurred. Oh, it makes my heart hurt. But yeah, I mean, because this is what I'm getting to is like, it's it's not really progress, that it's inconceivable that anyone would want to have sex with an older woman. Like, mm -hmm. that's really why I, this is this is what I'm kind of think I'm drilling down to yeah. is like, we have to show yeah. the, the, the fuckable pictures because it, it, it can't pop like. As a society, it's just like, well, of course not. He's not having sex with grandma. Look at him. Right, and it's like, right. well, fuck him. Look at him. Yeah, look at him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, that, and that's the crazy thing, too. Yes, so it, I don't know. It just played out in all these little kind of subtle strands yeah. from the clothing to the, the photos that they were showing to the jury to even sometimes the language that was used. Yeah, yeah, totally. How, how do you decide what to cover? Um, I don't know, sometimes like in a panic, uh, <laughs> not knowing what my purpose is. Um, no, I mean, so in the, the case of this story, I'd been fascinated with E. Jean Carroll since she first came forward. I hadn't known a lot about her previously. I didn't, I wasn't a fan of her advice column. I didn't know about it. It was like maybe a little bit before my generation. And when she first came forward in that New York Magazine article and I started 
researching her, I just remember thinking like, oh my God, this woman did all of this crazy stuff. Like she was doing gonzo style journalism at a time when women really weren't doing that. And yet she was portrayed as this kind of kooky advice columnist lady for like the little women's magazine. It felt like when she first came forward and not many people knew who she was beyond the Trump rape accuser, she was diminished in this way. Or maybe we didn't even realize she was diminished, but she was referred to repeatedly as an advice columnist or like a romance advice columnist or as a columnist for Elle. And when I began looking into her background, there was just so much more to it. And and she is eccentric in a lot of ways. Like when she first came forward, she had been leading these hideous men tours in New York City where you could go. <laughs> and she actually took me on one when the weekend after she came forward in that New York Magazine story, we met up and she took me on this hideous men tour where you meet in front of Bergdorf Goodman. Amazing. And she takes you to all of these different buildings, Fox News, like Trump Tower, all of these different places, these landmarks in New York City where assaults occurred or where terrible men had worked. And it's actually such a brilliant idea. But in the aftermath of coming forward and accusing the sitting president of the United States of rape, I think it was spun as a bit kooky. Right. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. I want to talk about your overlooked obituaries because they're so amazing and such an incredible addition to the Times' obituary section, which is like the second thing I look at in the Times every day. <laughs> um, you basically tell the story of all these incredible women that time forgot. Did you feel, did these stories make you feel hopeful or depressed <laughs> or something else? A little else? bit of both. I, I mean, so when we started this, it was 2018 and you know, you, as someone who reads the obituaries, you've probably heard these complaints for years. Like there's more men who receive obituaries in the times than women. Often the times would be criticized for the language used in the obituaries. Like there was a famous one about a rocket scientist who the obit began by saying like, she made a mean beef stroganoff (laughs) and was like a great mother. And it was like, no, she was a fucking rocket scientist. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So there was some tension around this and there was an editor in the obituaries department who had been collecting names of women who she couldn't find archives of them having received obituaries. And so when I started as gender editor, we teamed up and we, it was a little bit needle in the haystack because it was like, how do you really search for these things? Like I was just pulling names out of the air being like, I don't know, let's look up Emily Dickinson. Like let's look up Ida B. Wells. And we would search and see if they had ever gotten an obituary. And a lot of times they hadn't. Wow. And so the idea became, you know, A, like the obituaries department needed to get better in terms of gender ratio overall. Mm-hmm. But could we also posthumously write the obituaries for these women who never received them, some of whom were incredibly famous and quite obviously should have received them, and others of whom maybe you didn't know of or hadn't heard of, but had done remarkable things. So you also, a second thing you did, another thing you've done, (laughs) many things you've done, you spent, I don't even know how long on, how long did you spend on this is 18? I guess like a year. Okay. so, So you spent a year um, taking a deep look at the lives of 18-year-old girls around the world. Tell us about that, because as middle-aged women, I feel less and less in touch with the life of, a, like, really, because I have a teenager, but really understanding the life of an 18-year-old. What was that like? Like, what are, like, the things that, like, surprised you or you learned? Yeah. I mean, I'm obsessed with teens because I just think that they're so fun and they teach you so many new words that you can then impress your middle-aged friends with that's true Um, and so I've I've often I've often veered towards doing projects that involve teenagers but with this project in particular so this was 2018 um we kept talking about how 18 is like this really kind of slippery age like are you an adult are you not an adult you know like we still call women girls at that age, but like technically they are women, you know, in some places you can serve in the army in that age and other, in other places you can't yet vote. And it felt like for girls who have all sorts of added 
stressors and challenges of that age, it would be really fascinating to see what their lives were like as they navigated this complexity of entering into womanhood or whatever you want to call it. Um, so the idea became, um, let's document these girls in many different countries photographically, and let's do so by finding actual youth girl photographers in their communities because they would have better access. And part of the thinking was like, you know, the times and other outlets, as you obviously know, so often will like parachute in and be like, we are going to report on the teens and, and we're old. Right. Right. (laughs) And so then we're like giving the old person spin on it. And we really felt like the girls should do this in their own voices. We were obviously there to guide them, but we wanted to see what life was like through their lens, um, their literal photographic lens and their, and their voices. And so it was, largely um it was a it was a bureaucratic and process challenge because there was like 21 time zones all these teenagers the teenagers were communicating on like snapchat instagram dm sometimes text message no one ever wanted to talk on the phone they wouldn't get their emails so you're like trying to connect and coordinate people and figure out how to get them guidelines and and mentor them and all of this is happening when like you don't have Snapchat. <laughs> um, I was thinking about um, teenage girls and, and 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 reading some of the stuff you've written and thinking about how I mean this is not a headline really, but technology really isn't the way that you you spell it out an incredibly tech toxic cocktail when mixed with adolescent femalehood. Yep, like it's it's almost like the worst case scenario. Yeah, it's like. <sighs> I mean, the thing that they talk about with girls is this kind of relational aggression, which is like the subtlety of all the stuff we remember from the original Mean Girls. Like, you can't sit with us, whispering behind each other's back, calling someone on three-way and getting them to talk shit about the other one. But now you can do that times infinity through like text group chats where you leave one person off or like hiding someone from your close friends stories on Instagram, but they won't ever know. And then they'll just keep wondering and like guessing and spiral forever and ever and ever wondering if they've been left out or not, which I, I guess to me is like part of the agony is the not knowing. And so when I was writing about the new mean girls, which is nicer in a lot of ways, but I don't know if it's very accurate. Um, I was thinking that for me as like an obsessive person who tends to ruminate, which is probably not just me, like women are more likely to ruminate than men are. The idea of not knowing where you stand with a friend group based on all these little things happening in your phone seems like utter agony. Hell yeah. There's like new ways to leave people out. Are you are you optimistic, though, in general for teenage girls? I mean, in some ways, it is like this generation of teenage girls seems so much more self-possessed, certainly, than I did when I was a teenager in the late 70s and early 80s. They seem to have so much education and so many, so much, so much, um, I don't know how else to say it. Like, they've got balls in a way that I don't associate with my generation having had balls. That's and, it, yeah. I think that I think that's very true. They do. They like there there is a, a confidence. Um and I don't know. I mean they're just much better versed in things like feminism or equality and what that means. I think I mean it's like impossible to really compare, right? So I was thinking about I don't know if you read or your parents read um, Reviving Ophelia in the 90s. That was that book about like saving the souls of adolescent girls. And I remember my mom had it on her desk and being like horrified that she found out (laughs) what I was doing. Anyway, um, it came out 30 years ago this year. And, you know, it was getting into like eating disorders and cutting and like all of this stuff from that generation. And I guess my feeling is, like some of these outward expressions of anxiety have shifted in form and there are new issues. But I think that girls have always struggled with some of the same things around self-confidence, like reaching that age right between adolescence and teenage years where you just become 
really self-conscious and your and your self-esteem tends to drop. And now that is coinciding with the same age that you're legally allowed to get on all of these social platforms. Yeah. So I guess my feeling is like, if we could get them to get off the phones, <laughs> they'd, they'd be doing pretty well. Let's take a quick break for some ads. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. And we're back. Okay, I have to ask you this question because I just do. Taylor Swift, force for good for teenage girls? <laughs> she just rolled her eyes. I'm just saying. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's not a force for bad, right? right? I don't know. I was thinking about like, okay, so what did I, like I, we had like Britney Spears or whatever mm-hmm. growing up. Like she hasn't crashed and burned. She's not having a mental breakdown. She clearly is in charge of her own finances. Like she has autonomy. Um, so it seems, it, it seems like she has a stable, she had a stable upright, like she has a good structure around her. So that's certainly positive. And there are so many girls who are inspired by her. I think I'm just post Super Bowl a little tired of seeing her in my feed right now. Well, yeah, fairy tale, yes, weird, the, like it, Barbie Ken. Yes, thing. that's what's really bothering me. Like she didn't bother me. This like push of like heteronormative like fairy tale is really, really bothering me quite a bit. Like, when are they going to get married? Will you? Yes. Get, like, oh, oh, go make some babies, you crazy kids. Like that kind of thing. Yes, yes. yes. I know, I know. It's uh, but then it's like we, the media, are like eat, completely eating it up. So yes. I don't. It's like you cannot escape it. So I don't know. I mean, there's. I think there's probably better role models now than there there were. But does that mean we can't also have some problems with it? No. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What do, What do you think? No, I was going to ask you because I wanted to get to this. You teach it. You teach a, a class at NYU about understanding the zeitgeist. But you were at an age, and Jen and I are past that age, where you start to feel like you're not quite as able to understand what the kids are saying. I like, mean, why do I how- teach this class? To know what the kids are saying. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> but where do you find the relevant topics now? Is it on um, TikTok? Please don't say TikTok. <laughs> no, I'm not on t- TikTok. My students are all on TikTok, so I rely on them to tell me what's going on there. But I guess, I mean, we've talked a lot the last couple of semesters about like, what makes something a trend? And like, just because it is trending, quote unquote, trending on TikTok, does that mean that it is real? Or does that mean that the algorithm has pushed it into your feed? And now like the media who, you know, is is old and sort of feeling a little bit out of the loop is like, oh, well, we got to cover the TikTok trends of them, like writing about it. And then it becomes this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. So where do things emerge? I mean, there's a, so many funny, interesting things that are happening on social media and on TikTok and also like the way that everything is now labeled into a thing. So it's like you can't just like quit a job or like 
take a nap, you're you're doing like lazy girl summer or right, whatever. I'm in, my, I'm in my nap era. Yes, right. yes. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of funny and playful. But I guess I feel like we have found a nice cohesion, me and the youngs that I teach, which is like <laughs> they tell me about the funny thing that's happening in their phones I don't know about. And then I am like, huh, that sounds a lot like this thing 10 years ago. Um, are these things connected or like what, what does that actually tell us about the state of the world? Like I'm trying to help them bring context to yeah. it as opposed to just like reporting on the thing as it exists and not questioning it. But they do. Yes. They tell They like, they like part of, yeah, I like to know what they know <laughs> and it makes me feel cool. But it's important. But but what you're also saying there is that your role is important, is contextualizing, is giving historical context, is placing things, you know, in in the world at large. I feel like like even with with my teenager, they know a lot of movies or songs, but only a snippet. Right. Because because of what they've seen on social media or because the, the snippet of a song is part of a meme. And we'll be like, how do you know Phil Collins? And it's like, oh, well, this is part of a meme now, you know? And, and we're like, you can't have an opinion about this until you hear the thing in its totality. Yes. And it's, it's anyway, it's, it's interesting to think about what your role is as an older person trying to help people navigate the trends and actually reverse the question we asked you and not just you seeking them out, but what is, you know, you still have value to the conversation as a person I who sure, under, yeah, I right. I sure hope so. Well, right. <laughs> well, I mean, no, you I do. Mean, no, I, yeah. I think like, you know, even things like little language things. So it's like, they'll call everything viral or they'll be like, um, exploded on X platform or whatever. Like there, and I, and I will just be like, what does that mean? Like you need to give us an actual data. Like this is meaningless unless you're comparing it to something. And so, yeah, I guess I hope that my role with them is to help them contextualize a little bit and, and like question the way that the algorithm is feeding you things <laughs> because it's not, if, if you're identifying a quote unquote trend, it has probably been pushed there by some brand. <laughs> Right. I think with kids, it's also it's also that they really think everything that's happening is happening to the first time for the first time yeah. to them, which, of course, we all did to every yeah. every generation of teenagers does. But I would imagine that's part of the job, too, is just saying, actually, this isn't that different than what happened in 1995. Yes, <laughs> I think I think that is very true. The other thing is, is that trends have always been bullshit. I had a friend who yeah. was. um I had a writer friend in the early 2000s who was like, I bet I can get any story, any trend story placed in the style section. I can make up a trend tomorrow and get it placed in the style section. And we like totally had a bet about this. And he totally did. What it was, was the not, trend? It was, um, it was stoop parties. Amazing. <laughs> he was like, I can get stoop parties placed. And I'm like, there's no way. And he totally could. Oh like, and it was always the rule of three. And we were all like, right, oh, right. how can we pitch? How can I be yeah. pitch? And it was always bullshit. So, you know. Oh, my God. It's so fun. And because also trend stories are really fun. Like, I do love the idea of a trend story. But it has to, like, represent something larger. Or sometimes it doesn't have to mean so much. Like, it can just be a little slice of life. You don't have to call it a trend. Whatever. I, I try to show them my most embarrassing trend stories at the start of the class, too. Amazing. Um, to either be like, we thought this, like, Second Life. Remember that weird virtual world? We put that on the cover of Newsweek and called it the Internet's <laughs> next big thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> LOL. <laughs> or things where, you know, the Times, like, the style section will have put something out about, like, I don't know, not wearing shirts or not wearing pants or something in, like, 2013. And then they'll do the same exact story every two years <laughs> so it's like and they just did they were just like everybody wants the travis kelsey haircut right right and right. travis and travis kelsey was like i think it's just a fade it's just a yeah. fade yeah totally this is, this and, is, it's also i didn't originate this me the white right, man travis right. kelsey <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah so many things like that um that are fun to dissect and yeah. try to understand like what what actually happened there Totally. Very funny. Totally funny. Um, speaking of the past and the present, um, <laughs> you wrote a best-selling book called Feminist Fight Club in 2016, right? I want to know. Like a million years ago. I, right. That's what I'm talking about because I yeah. think about this a lot because the book I wrote in 2017, I'm like, oh, I don't even think yeah. those things. How 
has your own feminism changed in the years since you wrote that book? That's such a good question. Um, I think honestly, like I'm so much more cynical. <laughs> like oh. when I was writing that book, okay, it was like Lean In had come out. There was all this kind of corporate feminism. And I was like, I know I want this to be a little bit more radical. I want it to be useful, but I want it to be a little more radical and younger and funner. <laughs> yeah. So it was like giving catchy names and, and you know, like I, we, I created these terms to identify actual problems in the workplace, like man-interruption. Oh, a man-interruption is when a man interrupts a woman, which actually happens twice as often for women as it does for men. And each thing was statistically back. But now I'm just like, can we stop with all the like rah-rah? Yeah, <laughs> like there's just right. like, it's become so commercialized. It's become so vapid. It's become like, I, I like can't do empowerment speak. Like I just- No, fempowerment, no way, ugh. <laughs> yeah, no, you go, girl. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I just, it makes me cringe now. Um, and I think that it's partially like the commodification of it um, by commercial institutions. But also, I guess that like maybe we made it so accessible that anyone could use the language, even people who actually didn't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I, what, it, what do you both think? I mean, when I was in my 30s, I was going to write a book about girl culture. I was like, girl culture is the new feminism. And that's, you know, and all it ended up being really was Pamela Anderson wearing a T-shirt that said girl on it. It's <laughs> <laughs> well, it's back now, right? <laughs> yeah. I feel, I feel like um, feminism is something you can do if you don't talk about it being feminism. Well, okay. Yeah. I feel that yeah. it's like, just do the thing. Like it's everything has become so performative that it's yes. like, I'm going to mm -hmm. use all the gender studies language and talk about my intersectionality. And it's like, no, just be intersectional. Just do the thing instead of talking constantly about the thing. And I feel like there's so much talk and like using the right language and calling people out for not using the right language. And it's just like, how wouldn't your energy be better spent actually doing something? No, you paint yourself into a corner when you think like that. Yeah. And also it's just so hollow. Like all, you know, I was on that, I was on that girl boss circuit of the, the, you know, the 2000 teens, you know, that was a real ugly time. It was just like, okay, you're showing us how successful you are. And also not telling us that you came from generational wealth and you have a rich husband and like it, it everything was a performance and like watching like the, the business book, the lean in of it all, like every lean in from lean in to what came after it. I mean, I just felt so soured on it. And now I really feel like the, yeah, the fight is a little quieter and um, it's, it's it's not about it's not about showing what you're doing on social media and and in that way it actually is authentic in not actually in the performative authenticity but in actual authenticity like being right with yourself right. being right with the world i feel like that's the only way at this point yeah. because everything else is just like you know virtue signaling and just yeah. gross i i can't it's disgusting yeah <laughs> like, i know well and also like words have just become meaningless yeah like it's like you can't even say out the authenticity anymore without being like but i mean like the real kind right exactly like exactly <laughs> i mean the kind that i don't talk about kind like, <laughs> i don't yeah i mean i find myself av avoiding those types of support or like empowerment or yeah like i mean i remember getting my boss at, at the times at one point in like 2017 at um I think like a boss bitch mug or like oh. maybe it was a girl boss like so embarrassing so embarrassing would never do that now it's just like I don't know it uh jumps the shark yeah <laughs> yeah oh totally no I, I can't I came up with the word I really thought this was part of the 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 culture but it's I don't think it is I, the other day I was like you know I said to my husband I was like bit genius you know like bit genius and he was like what are you talking about I'm like isn't that one of the words <laughs> I mean, yeah, it sounds like it should be. Like it's one of those bit genius ladies. Oh my um, god, that's so funny. Oh god. So what do you still want to do? Um, great question. I don't know. Um, you don't know? It's a hard one. I don't know. I need to read your book um on ambition because I feel like that is a thing that I certainly am grappling with 
as I enter middle age. Um, we talk about this a lot on this show because it yeah. feels, you know, th- your relationship to ambition changes one way or another when you're middle aged. Yeah. Um, and it's like I was saying to a friend the other day, we were both talking, we were like, it is there, like it is inside of us, like that drive is still there, but we are just tired. Our bodies are tired. So like, it's so much harder to execute on it. Um, and you know, when you, or at least I feel like I came up at a time when you, and in journalism where it was like, you just had to hustle, you had to do it because media was imploding. Like that's what you were going to do. And then at a certain point when you're like, I am not willing to do that anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What does that mean for you? And I don't know if I figured it out. No, but you know, I think, well, first off, you're not going to find any answers in my book. So, like, <laughs> so spoiler, um, but because there are no, there's no answers. This, this is the one thing we've learned. There's no universal answer for any, you yeah. know, there's no, there's no prescription for this shit. Even if like you can put your hands on the hips, uh, power pose and pretend there, there's not. Right. But I think that one thing that I'm, I understand where you are. Cause I think I was there like five or six years ago and now at 50, I think my ambition is for things I really, really want to do. And like, I think that that's it. That, that's it. Everything else gets like an 80% of me, you know, maybe 70, every, you know, just the things that I have to do to make money or whatever. But yeah. like the things yeah. I really want to do, I'm better at identifying them and I'm better at saying no and, you know, better at chasing things I actually like and putting the right. energy where I feel like I'm going to get the yeah. energy back. Because you light, you know what lights yourself up. Yes. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that, I think that's what happens at, starts to happen at the, as you get older is you're like, okay, how much time do I have left? What do I still want to do? Like, right. what do I really want? Yeah. Like, what is important that if I'm dead and I didn't do that, I'll be like, oh, that's sad. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is clarifying. Yeah. Yeah. Because you do start being like, well, how many more years am I going to be working? Like, right, really, right. like, you know, yeah. I mean, I guess Joe Biden, blah, 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 you know? <laughs> like, I, don't know. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it is funny. Yeah. yeah. It's like you wake up one day. I don't, I mean, maybe this is a media thing too, but it's like, I feel like I was just running as fast as I possibly could to like get to a place where I could chill for a second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then immediately once I got there, it was like, oh my God, I don't actually have that much time left. Like, am I, am I going to be retiring? There was like no coasting <laughs> ever. Right. Um, yes. And I haven't quite figured out what to do with that. But I do accept to look to E. Jean Carroll, who's 80 years old and saying, fuck you, I still have a lot of worth. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and like use that as inspiration. And I am sure that she is as you said, taking on the things that she really cares about and not the others. Yeah. Well, because you just, because the, the, the fallacy is that you don't give any fucks and that's actually not true at all. You give so many fucks, but you just give the right fucks. That's really, yeah. that's really my thing about aging when everyone's like, you don't give a fuck anymore. It's so not. Yeah. 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 That's <laughs> no, kind of one of those things that everyone says too, right? Yeah. yeah. That let Give less fucks. Yeah. It's just few, fewer better fucks. Fewer uh-huh. better fucks. That's it. Fewer, for more, huh. more, more targeted yeah. fucks. More, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. <laughs> because the Is that in the book? Yeah, that's kind of in the book. I okay, mean, good. look, it's not, it's not, it's not a guide. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, wait, before you go, I want to make sure you tell us about the podcast. Um, oh yeah, the podcast. Let's okay. go. What's happening with the podcast? Why did you want to tackle these things in the podcast? Um. So. A lot of my work over the last 10 years has been looking back on these figures like Monica Lewinsky, Pamela Anderson, like these characters that I grew up with who look really differently in retrospect. And, yep. and so in the case of my journalism, I have tended to profile them or um, work with them to actually do these stories. But there were so many little moments and little things that I remember from my youth um, that felt like were worth revisiting. So my pal, Susie Banakaram, who is my co-host, she used to run News Advice. We worked together years and years ago for Tina Brown at, at Newsweek and the Daily Beast. And we were talking one day about um, how General Hospital, <laughs> uh, Luke and Laura, the most famous 
two soap opera couple in history. Yeah. Their relationship actually started with Luke assaulting Laura. And That's we were right. like, oh I shouldn't God. be laughing. I mean, like, I know it, it's so disturbing, but like, what? And we were just like, wait, we had forgotten about what? Like, that is so crazy. And then we just sort of started spiraling about all of these different moments that we remember consuming as as teenagers largely she's a little bit older than i am so general hospital was more her era i was like dawson's creek the like pacey and um miss jacobs his english teacher who he has an affair with (laughs) which was happening in my hometown or which was happening in seattle when i was a teenager at the same time that mary Kay letourneau was playing out in my hometown and so there were all these little threads that we could go back to and try to contextualize within the cultural and political framework at the time that we just thought would be really fun to go back and look at and do deep dives into and try to interpret what they taught us about the world and women's place in it no, the the show the show's really good and I I love this because I mean it's so fun like even there was the documentary about Lorena Bobbitt a couple of years like it's just like yes. oh we were wrong about everything. We were yeah. just we were so wrong and we always blamed the woman and it's it's wild that we did this. <laughs> and we are sort of in this weird moment of like revisit like we almost are like is this too much but yeah. we're revisiting everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. I think No, I think all it's right. these women who were punchlines for Jay Leno, you know. Right. Like he deserved that. Ew, gross. I know. (laughs) Sorry, I even said his name. No, it's okay. It's okay. I mean, he's not like the worst, but he's just like, ugh. You know, (laughs) he's just yucky. He's just yuck. Um, Well, thank you for so much for coming on the show, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this has been great. Everybody, where can people find you? I want them to find you. Um, they can find me at In Retrospect, um, which is on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, um, or on Substack, jessicabennett.substack, or I don't know, all the other platforms. Fantastic. Thank you like, so much. Except TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. Uh, you know what? Guess. I applaud <laughs> that. <laughs> That's exactly right. All right. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Jess. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We're your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. If you like the show, please rate and review it on all the platforms, especially Apple Podcasts. And if you are not subscribed on Apple Podcasts, this is super important. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Um, Something happened that went wonky. And so the downloads and I don't even know. If you want to support the production of the show, it's about $3 a month. You can also just check it out for free, but we prefer you pay $3 a month on our Patreon at patreon.com slash everything is fine. It helps us keep the lights on the show and pay our editor. If you want to follow Kim and you should, you can go to kimfrance.substack.com. You can pre-order my book, Ambition Monster. Um, that link is in the show notes. You can follow my beauty recommendations on Jen Romolini's Vanity on Instagram. You also can join our Facebook group. We are on Facebook with a private and robust Facebook group. This show is mixed and edited by the great Natalie Rivera. Thank you, Natalie. And we'll be back next week. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash press on and use code press on 25 at checkout for 25% off impress manicure and press on falsies. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.